Scott with frequent leading man Denzel Washington, Unstoppable is the story of an uncontrolled speeding train barreling through rural Pennsylvania towards a series of towns. It's also the story of the obstacles that get in the train's way that are instantly vaporized. And it's the story of two men, Washington playing a 28-year veteran of the railroad and Chris Pine, a rookie on his first day, who are the only men who can stop it. What are we worried about in terms of cargo? Eight freight cars of hazardous chemicals. We're not just talking about a train. We're talking about a missile the size of the Chrysler building. I need to know where that train is. We're not exactly sure. You're not sure? We'll find out. What the it gets worse. I've got 150 students coming in on some field trip on track 16. Train that size going that fast will vaporize anything in front of it. We have been told to anticipate an event radius 20 to 45 miles. The only way to stop that kind of power, grab it by the tail, gun in the opposite direction. Are you in or you out? You want to kill yourself, you do it alone. All right, right? you do what you want. Wait. Now then, now that Tony Scott has made his filming style literal, would you say that Unstoppable successfully pulls into the station? Or is it, like many of Scott's other films, derailed by the stylistic excess? Well done, Corey. It does not derail. I love this movie. I think that this is one of the best action movies in a while. Um, and I would include that with something like, say, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World this year, which I think is a fantastic action movie. I think you can lump the two together if you're going to make a list like that for 2010. But for me, this is Scott's best movie in a long time, and look, I was a big fan of Man on Fire when it came out. I love Enemy of the State. I think it's fantastic, and we all have a very special place in our hearts for Top Gun, of course, and Days of Thunder, maybe, and a few other of his movies, but watching this one time last night suggests to me that this could be Tony Scott's best movie, just in terms of the control that he has over it, and I think you're absolutely right about his latest string of movies, especially this decade, where he has established this style and he's sort of become a slave to it. These movies all resemble each other in a really uncanny way. And I think a lot of people might confuse one with the other. I think a lot of people might think Deja Vu and Domino could be the exact same movie, or I mean, you can lump Take Napoleon 1, 2, 3 in with this movie just because you have Tony Scott, Denzel, and a train. But to me, this is just well-scripted, well-edited, well-acted, and for me, the sense of urgency, the stakes here, and the people involved are all interesting and at their highest point for a movie like this. I think that the screenwriter, and his name escapes me right now, is Mark Bombeck. He never tries to write his way out of something ridiculous. This movie is very simple, and going into it, of course, we have this train that is unstoppable, right, and it's carrying these hazardous materials. Going into it and watching the trailer, I kind of thought that this movie was going to be about terrorists who had sent this train into a highly populated city in Pennsylvania with these hazardous chemicals, but that's not the case, and I don't think I'm ruining anything here. This is just the basic plot of the movie. You know this from the get-go. And I'm fine with that, but it's not. It's even better that you just have a situation where screw-ups, screw-up, and you need well-trained, logical thinkers to come in and fix the problem. And I think that Denzel and Chris Pine portray that well enough, and they keep their eye on the ball well enough to really make for a incredibly suspenseful and fun and focused experience. Yeah, there are no action heroes in this movie. You have, you have Denzel and you have Chris Pine who are normal guys. Uh, Chris Pine even isn't really even that well 
train that's this first day. You have uh, a redneck in a truck, who, and you have uh, Kevin Corrigan looking pretty creepy, but uh, in one of his more effective roles, you know, since he's not playing comic relief as, uh, I guess, a railroad safety inspector of some sort, Rosario Dawson, of course, um, who is quite glamorous in other movies, not, not so much here. Uh, but she's not supposed to be. She's playing a professional. These are all working class professionals uh, who are put in a situation that one of their own created, and now they have to solve it. 1206, this is Connie Hooper. Are you there? 1206, over. Just wanted to see how you boys are doing. We're doing about 60 miles an hour, Connie. Sorry, Frank, I don't understand. We're going after your train. 1206, or the just the plot is stupid. It's so simple. It reminds me of something out of a Seinfeld episode where they're going to see a movie called Unstoppable about an unstoppable train, and it's something you laugh off, like the death blow. Or there's I can't remember another name of a Seinfeld movie, but I never felt that way while watching this. I never felt wow, that was a really dumb sequence. I was involved. I was excited. There were people below me who were applauding through the entire thing. I think this is going to be a crowd pleaser for sure, and it just helps that you have. These compelling on-screen presence, presences like Denzel Washington, and especially, for me, Chris Pine. I mean, Denzel, he's an established figure. He's going to be likable in most of what he's in. And Chris Pine was great in Star Trek. I think a lot of people liked that casting decision once they saw the movie. And me, I've been anxious to see what he does next. And I was a little worried about this, just because it just seemed like one of those mainstream uh, Hollywood offers that you take when it's offered. Um, and it's a chance to work with Denzel and Tony Scott. But no, I think that he adds that confidence, that gravitas um, here that he did in Star Trek as well. I mean, he's a little he's a little precocious uh, in some in some senses, but he sort of puts his money where his mouth is, and he does his job when he's asked to do it by Denzel. And I think that their working relationship is interesting because they're there to solve the problem. And they can't ask any questions or they can't really think twice about anything or else this train is going to blow wherever it goes. And so they have to think fast and act fast. And I think that that really lends itself to the urgency that I was talking about. Can I proffer a possibly controversial comparison here? Sure. The movie that this most reminded me of, not any other Tony Scott movie, this movie reminded me most of Jaws, if you can, if you can picture this. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the first two acts of the film, the train is almost like a monster popping up, you know, with this horrible screeching in the middle of nowhere at, you know, the railroad crossing that it least needs to be at, you know, for maximum destruction. You have these two professionals uh, who are then tasked to, to capture it, and then the last third of the movie basically is, is them on their mission, uh, pretty much in some awesome nonstop action scene. Um, I mean, obviously... Jaws is a perfect movie. I wouldn't say this is, though I did enjoy it. But, uh, I mean, I think I think the idea of the train as, as sort of this monster stalking rural Pennsylvania is interesting. And what this movie does share with Jaws is uh, an attention to, to detail as far as its setting. It has a verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Scott understands the importance of not filming in, in Canada and saying it's rural Pennsylvania. You know, these, these are convincing locations populated with convincing people. Um, and I think, I think audiences will appreciate that. You know, like people are getting tired of, you know, being told Toronto is, I don't know, Alabama. Right. I don't think that's ever happened, but you never know. I love the location shooting in this, too, and just the setting in general, the decision to set this in rural Pennsylvania, because, I mean, if this were about New York, we might have seen this movie already. Right. And when you have this idea where you have two working-class guys trying to save their working-class families and their colleagues, that makes it way more interesting to me. And I think the stakes go up even higher. I mean, if we're just talking about, you know, this this missile on wheels, you know, uh, traveling into a, a populated area of 10 million people, I mean, it just gets even more ridiculous the more I think about it or the more you build upon that. But this feels kind of like a real situation. Again, I go back to how it all gets started. You have people that don't do their job, and you see what happens when they don't. I think that a lot of people might, liken this to, say, the, the BP crisis or how, how that um, got out of control so fast and you, you try to ask why, but you don't really have time to ask why. You just need to fix it. And that's what these characters do. And um, I just, you know, again, you said it's not a perfect movie, and I, I agree with that. I mean, it's, it's not. I don't think this is going to be something that we are going to be talking about in 20 years, necessarily, but I can't really think of much that was wrong with it. There were a few performances, I guess, that were a little much. I'm not the biggest fan of Rosario Dawson, and we might talk about her a little bit later, um, but she does a fine enough job. I think that this is one of her stronger performances because she's not really given enough time to act around her lines, and that's a credit to Tony Scott, and again, we talk about his style, and you could really make a case for his style being the poster boy of a lack of focus. Right. Well, I mean, at least in this movie, it's grounded. You know, he, he does turn to the to the handheld camera work uh, well, a little bit too much from my taste at some points near the end of this movie. I'm usually not bothered by it, but, you know, when it gets to the point where I'm, I'm saying something like, keep the character in frame at least yeah. while he's talking... And that might be a little excessive. Um, but it works for me usually. I like Man on Fire. I like Domino, too. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I like it. Yeah, I, I don't understand the bad rap. Well, yeah, I do understand the bad rap it gets. I, I can't say that. Um, but, I mean, that, that sort of thing works for me if it fits. I think that his style in this movie fits. I think he's been rightly gravitating towards movies that, that sort of, I guess, fit around what he wants to do with the camera and with the editing. Um, the one thing that I get, I did get kind of irritated by in this movie are the, were the constant cuts to the news broadcasts. I felt like that was a crutch for the movie to, to sort of rest on. I, I know that the audience needs to be pretty consistently updated with, you know, where the train is, what's going on, but there were probably more visual ways to do that than just a, you know, exposition dump on the audience probably like every five minutes, which it feels like happens in the last half of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think that there are some little contrivances, even with the Rosario Dawson character, where she'll pick up the phone and she'll learn a new bit of information about the train, and she'll just repeat what she's just heard on the other side of the call. 
And that's basically just telling us, yeah. here's the situation, guys. This is what we're dealing with. Yeah, I was also kind of troubled about where exactly the news cameras were because the news cameras were always capturing the news helicopter in the shot. I, I, I guess I was supposed to assume there was another news helicopter up there, but... And the news cameras got pretty darn close to the trains, too. There are just some shots where you see this train going 70 miles per hour, and the, the helicopter is literally 10 feet away from it. And they're getting these beautiful shots that I guess Tony Scott's cinematographer would be jealous of. Um, but it's, I, look, I think it's fun. I, I didn't, I didn't yeah. mind the news stuff as much. I've heard people already complain about that, even last night. But this movie, like a lot of great action movies, things that I want from great action it has things that I want from great action movies in that it's got humor it, it has a, a nice yeah. sense of self and it has a nice sense of humor and you have a really strong interplay between Pine and Washington here you believe this relationship of the old veteran in the railway system who's been there for 28 years and this new guy who just needs a job to convince his seemingly estranged wife that he's doing the right thing um there are times when the script tries to invite these backstories into what's happening where these guys, again, we talk about this sense of focus and they're trying to do their job. They have some time to have a conversation. And I think the point of that is they're trying to get their mind off of what they're doing and they're trying to relax each other uh, so that they can get it done. Uh, and I think some people might criticize this as being okay, we're working a little too much plot into this, or we're trying to give them a little more backstory than this really needs. But I think that they're disciplined enough to where it's not as much a distraction and it's not stupid. What do you think? It worked for me completely. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're exactly right, and I really appreciate I mean, I, I thought I might be kind of irritated by it when, it when the scene started, and I know what you're talking about near the end of the film. I thought that might irritate me, but then I thought about it, and then I, I realized... This is exactly what I want action movies to be doing. I want them to take time with their characters. You know, I want to. I mean, if not, I wouldn't say that the backstory between these two characters is especially pertinent to the plot, but it's just so nice to see a movie, an action movie that moves as fast as Unstoppable does, take a little time with its characters. Yeah, not too much. It never, and I hate to use this term again, it never really derails itself. It never... Um, it becomes so much of a distraction to where you're like, get back, get with it, guys. It's time to get back with it. And I, real fast, I want to talk about a couple of the supporting performances here. You mentioned there's a redneck out there, and I think that this is one of those action movie characters that is great. It, he really served the plot for me, and he was just this hilarious, fun character we looked forward to seeing. And it's one where they might disappear for a little while in the movie, but once we see them, we feel rewarded yeah. by the filmmaker. And it's this character, Ned, this long-haired, goateed redneck driving this very... Fastly driving this big red pickup for like, truck. For like a day. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. His name is Lou Temple, this actor, and I thought he was great. He, he just he provided so many of the emotional payoffs for this movie. And then you had, of course, I thought that the duo, and we won't get too specific about them, the duo of Ethan Sipley and T.J. Miller, I thought they were a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I was kind of just... I smacked my forehead every time they were on the screen, but I guess that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah, and you mentioned Kevin Corrigan, who often plays very creepy characters. You've seen him in The Departed. You saw him on Freaks and Geeks. He's been on a lot of stuff, and I thought he was really strong here. Yeah, he's good. Kevin Dunn as the evil corporate vice president.
president of the uh, railway company. That probably got piled on a little too thick. Yeah. The anti-corporate thing. I mean, I'm all, you know, personally, you know, communist as they come, I guess. But uh, the anti-corporate thing, it didn't really work here because it just... Uh, well, when they showed the CEO yeah, on the golf course, I, I, I was, I'm glad that they didn't revisit that as much yeah. as they probably could have or wanted to. I know, I know he wanted to. Again, this is, I want to cut the white guy on the golf course. Yeah, who is probably willing to nuke the train <laughs> and nuke the town. Just blow it up, I don't care. Yeah, who cares? We don't need to lose our stock value. That's more important. And they suggest that, but they, again, we talk about discipline, and I think Tony Scott shows enough to where he is willing to abandon that aspect of it. Yeah, because the, but the, I think that he cares way more about the what you know the, the the greater the greater task at hand and that is what's happening with Denzel and Chris Pine. Well, I mean, the first plan that the corporate guys start try to execute uh, to stop the train, and I want I'm not going to get into details, but it's positioned in the film. Rosario Dawson acts outraged when they suggest it or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, I can't believe they're going to try that. And you know, I, I kind of thought about it. I was like, that's not really the worst thing they could do in this situation. That, that, that could work. That could work. Of course, it doesn't. <laughs> but uh, I didn't share her outrage because it seemed like a pretty reasonable attempt to stop the train, right. and it was not framed as such. Right. Well, it, it is a lot of fun. I think that we can both recommend it yeah, for absolutely. sure. And I'm glad that we picked this over what our other choices for this weekend, and we'll talk about those a little bit later, but Unstoppable is now playing nationwide at the Cobb Hollywood 16 in Tuscaloosa, or nationwide and in Tuscaloosa. We will take a quick, short break and come back with our top five warning signs. You've been warned, and we will explain what that means, so stick around. This is Aspect Radio. Are you hungry? I know. I'm okay right now. Thank you. Tells me angry at the baby whenever it steals your food on all its mind. Welcome back to Aspect Radio with Corey Kraft. I'm Ben Flanagan. We'll get to our top five warning signs in a little bit, but first we are joined on the phone by my brother Graham, who is up in New York City. You're joining us for what could potentially become a weekly segment and what we're calling in limited release, where because you live in a place where you have all access to pretty much every movie released theatrically, you can come on and give us a quick capsule of one or two movies that are playing in limited release, most likely in New York City or Los Angeles, movies that we here in Tuscaloosa and in the South we don't have access to. So, Graham, you've got your pick of the litter up there at 12 bucks a pop, so that's, it's not always easy for you, but which film have you chosen to debut with here on our newest segment? Yeah, I know. I want to start with Fair You're in business with a terror organization. Who are you? If you get out of this car, I can't protect you. You have no idea what we can and cannot do. On a mission to find the facts. The vice president has received a report concerning the purchase of material to build nuclear weapons. We need to get in close. They turn to her husband for answers. It is my opinion. A sale that size could not have happened. I have teams in the field. They're all saying the same thing. But when the truth was made public... What do you think the White House wants to hear, huh? There was no nuclear program. We need to change the story. 
they made her pay the price. Tell her your name is in the paper. Says you're CIA agent. Son never worked for the CIA, but his wife is an agency me. operative. Have you killed people? I can't tell you anything. I have a critical operation in Baghdad. My contacts packed and ready to go. I've got to get a message to them. I don't know what you're talking about. I gave my word. So, it's over. Have you read about this, Valerie? Oh, I was away last week in business. Basically, it. Saddam bought these tubes, and we nail them. I mean, we have them, and they're packed with uranium. You read tubes, everything you Jeff, read. New York Times, you're right. Only how? Joe, you know about this stuff. What's your hunch on this? I don't know anything about tubes. I'm not qualified. <laughs> I think that it's the a question pretext. Is, I mean, fifty percent of Americans think Saddam blew up the towers. I, I agree with that. You can't say he's not a threat. He's a threat. I mean, he's mad. He's like Hitler. If we got rid of Hitler, I mean, he's, he's not Hitler. I'm sorry, he's not Hitler. He's Saddam. We put him there. Why? It's too it enough. He's our fault. He's not a threat. Have you met him, Fred? Have I you met that. Saddam? Has Saddam looked you in the eye and threatened you? Has he threatened to kill you? You don't know what you're talking about. Well, Graham Doug Lyman is a filmmaker that I think all three of us have sort of kept an eye on since his debut, Swingers, back in 98, was it? Or 96? Yeah, 96. And after that, he made Go, which I thought was a really good movie. And uh, 
he also, of course, started the Born trilogy with the Born Identity. So he, he, he's really done a lot of good work, especially in his early career. And most recently, he's been getting a lot of jobs as this uh, go-to mainstream filmmaker, especially with Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, which was okay. It was decent. It was sort of a throwback to say something like True Lies, but just not quite as good. And then he made inexplicably Jumper with Hayden Christensen. Would you say that Fair Game, back in this arena of, say, the political thriller, like something, I mean, something in the similar vein of the Born Identity, would you say that he's more back in his wheelhouse where he's challenging himself as a filmmaker and sort of... Um, going back to what made him somebody that guys like us wanted to see? No, I mean, he, he has to jump back into that pool where he's just kind of dipped his toe in the water. Uh, you know, the movie is, is it's watchable, okay? I mean, it, it, it does put you back in that time and place, uh, back at the outset of the Iraq invasion, but stylistically it just seems like another job for Doug Wine. I would not put this in the category of going swingers. Um, and as far as the one identity goes, I, it's hard for me to, to praise Lyman so much on that because I feel like Paul Greengrass came along and really showed us what uh, the true uh, cinematic potential of those stories was. So I think this, this does feel like another job. And, and when I was watching it, I felt like, you know, this should have been uh, an HBO movie. I think that it would have been, uh, it would have gotten a lot more exposure in that way because, look, it's being released as an art film. And I don't know how it, it did have a grade for screen average. Uh, last week uh, on just a few screens, but I don't think this movie's going to make a lot of money out of any, any uh, Just going by the quality of the work itself, I feel like it should have been an HBO movie, but I think that they, they said, no, there's too many big stars involved. we got to put this out as a real movie, but I have a feeling it's going to be on DVD and Blu-ray before he even gets a chance. Well, it apparently opens wide next weekend against Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, so you can probably surmise its uh, box office potential just based on that. Uh, I, I've personally been looking forward to this movie, but every single response that I've heard has has basically echoed what you just said, that it's workmanlike at best, uh, despite Penn and uh, Wasp's best efforts. Um, so that's a shame. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Ingram, Graham, I asked you this while we were on the phone before. I mean, these two have been in a political thriller before, directed last time by Sidney Pollock and The Interpreter. It, it, are uh, people just going to mistake these two movies as oh, one another? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. I was thinking Naomi Watts for some reason. Uh, but you're thinking the other political thriller that starts with an I. Which one? The international. The international. That's right. I'm sorry. I forgot that movie. Yeah, okay. So these are all the same movies. They blend together, don't they? Yeah. So they've just blended together for me. So will Fair Game blend together? Will it blend in with those, or does it sort of separate itself? No, it does. I mean, you can, you know, despite the fact wow. that it doesn't begin with an I, uh, you know, I'd say Snowy Watts here is, is you know, with the, uh, the, the script and material film on the same level, sure, it, it doesn't stand out. And, Yeah. 
Let's just take a second here. Uh, I don't even know what to say. No, I don't either. I, mean, I, I, I don't like this. It's like, well, if, if, if a title is that great, where you're like, you know what? I know there was a movie uh, called this, and not the name people remember it, so I'm going to refashion it for my own movie. You better make a great film, because, and I think that Hollywood's overdue here. You know, it's a, The Hunted, the original Hunted, which came out in 1995, is a ninja movie starring uh, Christopher Lambert. It's great. Yeah, certifiably badass. Love yeah. that movie. And I didn't see, ben, I think you did see the Benicio Del Toro, Tommy Lee Jones movie, The Hunted, but I, I just, I refused to see it on principle just because, because it was basically stealing the title of what I consider to be at the age of 13, the greatest film. Right, I'm trying to think of other movies that the uh, Paul Haggis' film crashed. Oh, no. Yes, you looked at another yeah. one. What about that? Was that
Don Sarah, why don't we start with Graham? Graham's still on the line. Why don't you start us off? Who are some of your top five warning signs? me from seeing a movie because I, I see everything 
so consistently bad that every time they're attached to a movie, I, I just assume that that's not going to be a good movie because of, I guess, their tendencies as of late. So, so with that in mind, uh, this is a sort of mix of the, the reasonably obscure and the, and the obvious. My number five is an actress who could be good if she made good movies. Um, she started out strong uh, in 2004 as The Village and has been downhill from there. I'm talking about Bryce Dallas Howard, um, who, man, uh, with her latest role in Clint Eastwood's Hereafter uh, and her role in this summer's uh, Twilight movie Eclipse, has sort of cemented herself as, as what is she thinking, just the premier bad actress. Well, she's, yeah, she's very, very bad in both of these mm-hmm. movies. I know that she could be good if she wanted to be, or if she had a better agent, or just were interested in making anything other than these weird movies. And I guess Hereafter theoretically is an attempt to do that, uh, but it was just a terrible movie, unfortunately. Working with Clint Eastwood, Lord knows, is respectable, but... Well, you know, Corey, it's it's interesting because I thought about her for this list, and what's weird is when I see her name attached to something, the first thing I think about was, man, she was great in The Village, so she might be great again in this. But, I mean, look at what she's made since then. She hasn't been good. She reteamed with Shyamalan for Lady in the Water. Mm -hmm. Then she made an ill-advised attempt to to star in some blockbusters, Spider-Man 3 and Terminator Salvation. She's entirely forgettable in both of those. Uh, and, and then and then we have Eclipse, and then we have Hereafter. And it's just, talk about uh, declining returns. I haven't seen Manderley, but I hear good things. Manderley's okay. About that. There's no Dogville. Well, I saw... It's no Dogville. I saw... <laughs> um, I saw her on Linda or Conan. She was on Conan when he was hosting The Tonight Show uh, not too long ago. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she was promoting, randomly, she was promoting this Tennessee Williams adaptation of a movie that she was making, and they showed a clip of it, and it was terrible. I've heard terrible things about that movie. It's called The Loss of a Teardrop Diamond. Right. Got a limited release at the end of last year, and it's on DVD now. I, I still have faith. I really do. I think it, uh, it depends on the project. It depends on the director. I think that she's capable of doing something. What else does she need, though? This is, you know, this she's she's working with the directors. Yeah, she's working with the directors. Work with her dad. Yeah. Put together with her dad. Grant, what's your number four? Uh, number four, well, it's a screenwriter combo. Um, Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman. Really? 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 Yes, really, Corey, because these guys single-handedly destroyed, they gave their mind powers to convince Michael Bay to destroy one of the most beloved franchises of my youth, the Transformers franchise, by totally abandoning anything that made it recognizable similar to the cartoon, to the franchise from the 80s, and recreated this just awful reinterpretation of what Transformers is. Basically, you know, kept some characters' names intact and made it about giant robots fighting each other, but really just time is right for this franchise, for this trilogy to end, because it's just an embarrassment for any trans- uh, true Transformers fan. I'm not going to just... I'm not going to disagree with that, Grant, but tell me who, in that case, who ghost wrote the Star Trek reboot? No, 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 no. I'm getting to that. They do have some pluses in that they wrote Star Trek, and they wrote The Island, which I I really enjoyed. Another Michael Bay movie that I thought was underrated. I mean, it's kind of fashionable to call that movie underrated, but I agree. But in addition to Transformers, they also wrote uh, Mission Impossible 
Yeah, well, again, I mean, I, I totally 100% agree with you about what they did with the Transformers um, franchise. But, I mean, of course, Michael Bay is just as much to blame. And Steven Spielberg is just as much to blame, too, for, for passing that, if he even read the script. But, yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think he did. I think these guys wrote the script, and they gave it to Michael Bay, and they convinced him, well, let's just go in this direction. But, just look, Star Trek is an incredibly well-written movie. Corey, I know that you're not a fan of what you would call contrivances in it right. towards the end of it, but I, I thought it was fantastic, very well-written. Um, my number four is one that, Corey, this is going to disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint you a few times on this list, I think. Danny Houston. Yeah, that is disappointing. He... I, I don't really have much of an explanation outside the fact that he's totally boring. <laughs> I, I just can't, I can't really think of a time where I thought, man, he, this guy can just flat out act, yet I hear so many people praise him. You think he was menacing in The Constant Gardener? No. <laughs> Featuring, uh, well, no, I'm not even going to say uh, what I think about that, but no, I mean, look, I thought that um, the, the most joy I've gotten out of a Danny Houston performance so far was seeing him in the most cliched bad guy costume ever in Edge of Darkness, where he's in this robe with, with a gold chain, a gold chain and chest hair. That was awesome. and he's, I think he's holding like a whiskey, a glass of whiskey or something like that. that that's about it. Uh, but no, this guy just totally bores me. And when I see him attached to anything, I roll my eyes and say, maybe on the red box, but we'll see. Uh, Corey, you're number three. Uh, well, my, my number four. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Um, Again, with a stipulation, this only covers the last decade, and I am accepting the year 2005 from this, because he had a good year in 2005. Uh, I'm talking about Bruce Willis, uh, his output over the last, well, since 2001, uh, really, after 2000's Unbreakable, which I think is his last really good performance and last really good movie, um, just a constant stream of nonsense. Uh, again, accepting 2005, that, that's sort of an anomaly. Well, well, what did he make in 2005? Uh, the movie Hostage, which I think is a really effective little thriller in okay. Sin City. Sin City, okay. okay. And, and though he's, he's not the star of Sin City, he's still nevertheless effective in an effective movie. But since, you know, before that, the three years, three or four years preceding that, and since then, man, he has been on a streak of making soulless action oriented usually crap and at least he's gotten away from the studio comedies I guess he I, I wrote a column this week about walking corpses in Hollywood and I think that he fought, totally falls into that category now this this once great action hero comedy star he has so much he has so much uh, comedic talent and yeah he just kind of cruises and plays bald Bruce Willis and pretty much everything that he's in now and I haven't seen cop out I haven't seen red did you guess you read? Yeah, read is okay, but it's not very good. The cop out is. Yeah. I totally agree with you, though. I think that he should hang it up, you know, unless he unless he finds some sort of rebirth. We do have some hope over the next couple of years. Um, he is currently filming Ryan Johnson's third film, Looper. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Johnson is the director of Brick and the Brothers Boy. Mm-hmm. These are very effective, very clever movies. Uh, and he allegedly has just signed to start a Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. So we have something to look forward to, uh, unless he just sort of like squints and mumbles his way through those movies to you, which would be a shame. Graham, if my math is right, I think it's time for your number three. Yes. Good job, good work, I think. Yeah. Um, number three, uh, David Kemp, screenwriter, and, uh, you know, member 
totally with you. And I am too, actually. When I've never really been a fan of his. I, I remember he wrote Snake Eyes to the Brian De Palma movie, which was, you know, just piled onto it. But when, after we were sort of circling these, you know, credible screenwriters, guys like Frank Darabont, even in Night Shyamalan when he was taken seriously back when they were trying to get the fourth Indiana Jones movie off of the ground, when they landed on David Kipp, when they when when that's the person they tapped to be the writer, and I heard that, that was almost it for me going into that movie where I thought, okay, this is this is not going to be what we really want it to be. Can I can I give a little asterisk here, an exception? Sure. Um, his work as director has generally been okay, uh, except for Secret Window, which was nonsense. But I'm a big fan of Stir of Echoes and of his 2008 Ricky Gervais starring romantic comedy Ghost Town. Mm-hmm. I think what about the Trigger effect? <laughs> I haven't seen that, but way to, way to pull that out of the air. Um, well, I mean, you it up, Corey. <laughs> all right, all right, you win. But, but Ghost Town still is really, really good. Okay, whose turn is it? My turn. Um, Channing Tatum. <laughs> this, this is like, I mean, I know this, this is just like way too obvious, but what reminded me of it last night was this trailer to this new movie that he's in called The Eagle. Did you see that before your movie? No, no. Oh, my God. Um, it stars him and Jamie Bell as what I guess are Roman soldiers. Yeah, Roman centurions, man. Yeah. I mean, okay, there you go. Uh, a Roman centurion. an Alabama accent. Well, yes, <laughs> and an Alabama haircut, too. A Roman centurion movie starring Channing Tatum is pretty much all you need to know going into it. But good God, I mean, I hate that. I, I this is a very cynical list. <laughs> And I'm sorry that we have to, to, to make it, and we're having to talk about things we don't like, but there are things that bother us. And what bothers me is that Alabama has to reluctantly claim this guy as one of its own out there in Hollywood. And you tell me, Corey, you're a fan of G.I. Joe. Um, I don't know. I just can't really think of anything that this guy has done to merit the roles that he gets. I haven't seen Stop Loss either, so yeah, maybe I'm not wrong. Good Stop Loss. Uh, he's good in G.I. Joe because he's playing an action figure. He's terrible in G.I. Joe. He's, he's, uh, he's, okay, he's serviceable to the material in G.I. Joe. He fits in G.I. Joe. Everybody's terrible in G.I. Joe. So it works. Brendan Fraser was good in G.I. Joe. Yeah, um, he's, in his, like, 30 seconds of screen time. G.I. Joe, to me, is like what Transformers would be to you guys if Transformers had been good. <laughs> so I'm sorry if I get all, like, tinged with nostalgia for my lost childhood. They both have good G.I. Joe. They both have good animated movies. At least we have that. But, yeah, I'm sorry. That was way too obvious. But it's just one that it, it, if, he's, if he's there, I'm not seeing the movie. I'm sorry. He's starring in Ron Howard's latest movie. Swan and Kevin James. I will not be seeing it. Sounds like a winner. I'll tell you the best. And he's, he's in this movie, he's supposed to be playing like a stud, you know? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then, I, I, you know, I think that the best Channing Tatum performance came in Couple of Enemies, Michael Mann, his movie, where. Shot. Yeah, he gets shot in the first five seconds of the movie, and yeah, it was, it, it, it was good stuff. So, Corey, yeah, got a victorious fist pump in the theater, I'm sure. Exactly. And that might have been the best part about that movie, too. So, anyway. Well, my, uh, my number three actually also stars in uh, um, Ron Howard's next movie, The Dilemma. Um, it's uh, Jennifer Connelly. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Since 2001, with, again, the exception of, I think, House of Sand and Fog, which is really good, and Little Children, which is a good movie that she doesn't really do much in. So that's a toss-up. But, I mean, her 
other choices in the past decade have just been kind of, yeah, I want an Oscar, I'm just going to coast. One of the most unjust Oscars in the Academy Awards history. Yeah, she's good in that movie, but you're right. I mean, that was just, movie. let's give a movie star an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. a movie star an Oscar. Since then, she's, she's made uh, Dark Water, which is the hell yeah, dumb horror remake. Then, over the past couple of years, just unrelenting with, with Reservation Road, The Day the Earth Stood Still remake, Think Heart, and he's just not that into you. Ugh. So, I don't know what she's doing, but you gotta get back on track. I like Hulk. Okay. You just left that out. I know. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. She was in Hulk. Yeah, I kind of see where you're coming from there. But again, in the case of Bryce Dallas Howard, sort of similar to that, I still have faith in her to yeah, think that This is more a case of just your disappointments. Yeah. I just wish that she would you know, do something. I, I disagree with you. And I thought she was excellent in Little Children and even She's very good. I can watch her character. And a lot of that has to do with the writing of who that character is. Man, she really nailed it. She just doesn't do that much in that movie. I mean, that character, I don't know, there could have been more to that character, I guess. Ooh, I disagree. Okay, Graham, you're number two. Number two, this one's uh, for Corey, because I know that he's going to have a reaction to this. Mark Romanek. Are you kidding me? Recently became a warning sign for me after seeing Never Let Me Go, which now looks. This was, as Corey says, uh, I mean, he's a borrowed term from Corey, serviceable. All right, Mark, Mark Romanek, you know, he, he was a, a, a highly acclaimed music video director, notably for uh, Closer by Nine Inch Nails, and, you know, they said he's going to be a, a film director now. I got really excited. He made one-hour photo, which on paper sounded like it could have been one of the best thrillers of the decade. Didn't really do it for me, serviceable, all right? Then he waits how many years? Like eight years to make another movie. We hear he's attached to the six studio uh, version of The Wolfman with Demetrius Del Toro and Anthony Hopkins, the far rated Wolfman movie. I'm like, bring it on, man. This sounds great. Then we find out on Annie Cool News or wherever, oh, he's leaving the project. So that was a major disappointment for me. And then it's, it's to do this Never Let Me Go. I say, oh, all right, let's, let's check it out. It's a movie. It's, it's you know, it's watchable. It's, it's atmospheric and moody and, and I, you know, but I have a feeling a lot of people are going to forget about it uh, after two years. So right now, this guy really needs to prove himself before he's back into the music video and commercial world. It's time for him to make a really good movie. Warning sign. Yeah, you're right. He just made one of the best movies of this year. He should really I disagree with you, Corey. I disagree with you. I have a feeling we're going to say that's going to be one of those movies where you're going to be like two years from now. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, I never let me go. I forgot about that. I one. guarantee I you that will be the case. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, it came and went. It's actually playing in Montgomery right now at the Capri Theater, so maybe I'll check it out. Um, I'm going to do a combo for my number two because I, uh, I want to save up my number one here. Uh, I feel good about it. Um, and it's an actor that we've actually talked about today. Um, but my combo number two is Most Deaf, the MC, who I hear is a great MC. I haven't really heard much of his music, but everybody, my good friend Terrence Brown, he's a, he's a hip-hop connoisseur, and he loves the guy's uh, MC work, so I take his word for it. His acting is terrible. He's borderline annoying, and he gets these parts in these fairly attractive projects. I mean, I think that I don't like the Italian job just because of his performance overall. I remember, I think I might have fallen asleep, too, but um, he's attached, and again, this is somebody who has just completely deterred me from seeing movies outright. I still haven't seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because of the stuff in the trailer that he had, yeah. 
I still haven't seen Be Kind Rewind just because I had seen a lot of his work prior to that and just thought, well, he's going to be in most of that movie, so I'm going to steer clear, even though it's directed by Michelle Gondry and Jack Black is also in it, and it sounds like a great idea. Um, he ruined that movie for me. Most of that single-handedly ruined that film for me. Well, it's a great idea, but it's not a good movie. But it's not his fault that it's not a good movie. Well, and I saw um, a lot of, you know, cable 16 blocks. Oh, man. Yeah, the Richard Donner action movie has a rough performance. With your one of your list editions, Bruce Willis. And he is so terrible in this movie, just annoying us. I mean, it's, it's like obvious, okay, well, we think most stuff is just extremely talented, and we're going to give him all of the so-called funny lines in this movie where he's this, you know, street-wise, um, <laughs> wise-cracking con man who talks a mile a minute and, I don't know, just covers no ground for me when it comes to the quality of his performances. So, yeah, that's just kind of an annoyed uh, pick on my part, so I apologize for that. But my co-number two here, and you're listening to WVUAFM Tuscaloosa here. This is Aspect Radio, the movie talk show. My other number two, Corey, this one's for you, Rachel Weitz. What? The uh, recent, you know, the recent, um, yeah, the recently departed, I guess, uh, wife of Darren Aronofsky. Uh, she starred in uh, what Matt labeled as the highly annoying and pretentious The Fountain from a few years ago. Uh, but look, she started out with a bang for me, okay? Her performance in The Mummy is fantastic. It's a great comedic performance. She, you know, was this up-and-coming, beautiful new actress who showed so much potential. But ever since then, she's bored me to tears. And, and, and again, I mean, on screen with Danny Houston and the Constant Gardener, another unjust Oscar. I know, she didn't deserve Look, Jennifer Connelly won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. We covered that. Same, but same difference. But they're both good in those movies. I don't know, man. I mean, they're maybe not Oscar good, but when is when is the winner of the Best Supporting Actress Oscar ever deserving to win that Oscar? She's the same in every single movie she's in. The exact same. Okay, well, there she is. Okay, I agree with that, actually. I mean, do you disagree that she gives the same performance in everything? I do. She, she, I, she takes herself her, she takes herself too seriously. Yeah. I think that people in Hollywood do, too. I, I agree with you. The mommy is just your entertainment. You know, listen up, Rachel. I, I, would offer, I would offer the counter, even though you've mentioned the casting director, I would offer a counter her work in Neil Abuse's 2003, 2004 film, The Shape of Things, mm-hmm. and uh, her work in The Brothers Bloom. She's fine in The Brothers Bloom. But again, I, I just think it's, it's fine. It's just, I think that filmmakers and fans of film give her way too much credit. And I think that they allow her to sh- uh, have these showcase roles, so to speak. And I think that that was one in The Brothers Bloom where it called for the great talents of an established actress who could make these quirks work in a very specific way. I disagree. She, I, I was bored by it. I didn't bring up the fountain because you guys are just going to make it feel bad. Um, I, yeah, that's my number two, so go ahead. My number two, uh, kind of an obvious pick, I guess. Again, with the disclaimer, this just all the obvious exceptions, and you're going to know what they are. Just ignore the obvious exceptions here. My number two is Poe Wilson. Ooh. Okay, okay, so apart from his work with Wes Anderson, I, I don't think I've enjoyed any of his movies since, like, Zoolander. Or, well, Wedding Crashers is okay. Just okay. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, well, yeah, okay, so I've seen this trailer, How Do You Know, 10 million times now, and it looks terrible, I think. I think it looks awful. I mean, and I'm, I'm going to put faith in James L. 
because of Spanglish? Does that reinforce your faith? I, I think that we can give them a pass for Spanglish because of terms of endearment and broadcast news by themselves. You know, those were in the 80s. I know, but they earned him a career of, of goodwill. And as good as it gets, he's really good, too. Uh, okay, I mean, I, yeah. But, but yes, I mean, warning sign raised for, for how do you know? Um, though I do trust James L. Brooks somewhat, then Woody Allen just cast him in his next movie, Big Bang Paris. So that bothers you? That bothers me. Okay. Yeah. What about? I don't think that Woody Allen, you know, bless his heart, is really going to step in and temper Owen Wilson's more annoying right. uh, acting tics, I guess. But but since, I mean, since Zoolander, uh, um, Marley and Me, the Night at the Museum movies. He was good in the Night at the Museum, I thought. Ever. I thought he was the, one of the better parts. Him and the monkey. The Why are you leaving out you and the brain and Drillbit Taylor? I just mentioned, like, I just said you and the brain. Super, super annoying. The, yeah, Drillbit Taylor is underrated. Drillbit Taylor is underrated. Drillbit, no, in that movie, he is just almost intolerable. Yeah, he's so bad. That's a bad movie. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. So, but, Matthew, Corey, you've seen uh, Bottle Rocket, right? <laughs> I said, with the obvious exception of okay. Because uh, all of his work is that's what he's capable of. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and again, this is another, this is a case of, of expectations. You know, you don't like saying it, but you, you, I mean, is it one of those things where it's like, I, I hate to include them on this list, but. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, coming out of Bottle Rocket, he, I mean, the guy co wrote Rushmore. Yeah. I mean, talk about your high expectations. And then he stars in You, Me, and Debris. He co wrote Rushmore. He co wrote The Royal Ten Bombs. You say, okay, you say with the exception of Wes Anderson movies. And I know you're not a big fan of this film. I think he is great in the Darjeeling Limited. I think he's a great Owen Wilson performance. That it's, rivals yeah, it's, it's a good performance. I really do. I think so. Performance. And the Hall Pass isn't really um, helping matters either. Yeah. The new Fairly Brothers movie. So, Graham, let's get your number one. Okay, number one, biggest warning sign in Hollywood, Jane Campion. No, I'm just kidding. Um, George Lucas. Okay. Uh, anything that his name is attached to, or any project that his name is attached to now, will always bring up warning signs after the uh, prequel trilogy. And this includes what I think is a very promising idea, which is we should get either next year or the year after, uh, called Red Tails, uh, which is chronicles the story of the, the Stevie Airman. I'm, I'm really excited to see George Lucas sponsor aerial combat, but. You know, you can't go in with the, your expectations being too high just simply based on what he did uh, to the Star Wars, to his own franchise, the Star Wars franchise, um, you know, with the prequels and also the tinkering with the original trilogy. Man, George Lucas was forever a creator of warning signs. You know, yeah, that, I think that is probably the most obvious yeah, one. That's well put. It's the end all be all. Yeah, nobody likes that guy anymore. Um <laughs> This, okay, I, I saved this, and this might not make sense to anybody else, but this is uh, something that I've noticed ever since I was a child, watching movies, this guy, and uh, the work that he's done. And we've talked about him today. I think he's been in a couple of the movies that we've talked about. I'm going to get obscure on you guys. Kevin Dunn from Unstoppable. Yes. Do you guys know who Kevin yeah. Dunn is? Yeah. Graham, are you familiar? No. It's the dad in the Transformers movies. And he's Patricia Clarkson's husband and Vicky Cristina Barcelona. He has been one of those, quote-unquote, that guy actors for, for years. I, I, I don't know what to say. I, like, I, it's it's going to be hard for me to explain.
explain this, but ever since I was a kid, I've noticed this guy has been in less than great <laughs> or less than good movies throughout his career. And he's one of those guys where if you can't afford the star or the better character actor, if, if J.T. Walsh is unavailable, then J.T. Walsh is, is not dead. <laughs> right. Oh, Corey. Well, he's dead. Jeez. I mean, throughout the years. This guy's been acting since the 80s. I'm not sure you didn't have Oh, my God. That was morbid. I mean, but Tony Scott didn't have the option for J.T. Walsh, is what I'm saying. That's true. And look, Kevin Dunn is not a bad actor or anything. But it's just, if he's cast, if he's associated with a movie, in my opinion, going into it, you're going to know that it's not going to be great. And you mentioned Stir of Echoes. <laughs> he plays a prominent role in Stir of Echoes. Yeah. And I think back when I saw Stir of Echoes, that's when I started realizing it. He's in Snake Eyes, too. He's in Small Soldiers, which had promised through its, tra- via its trailer, and it was not good. He's in Godzilla, plays a, plays a, has a prominent role in that, too, just in terms of the amount of lines that he gets for a character actor. I mean... I've got nothing against Kevin Dunn, and he seems like a, a you know a nice enough guy in these movies. But for whatever reason, this is my number one warning sign. <laughs> well, okay, I, I'm sorry. I, he's in the Sixth Man, though. He's actually funny in the Transformers movie that Shia dad. Yeah, he doesn't like paying for college; it's too expensive. He's in the Black Dahlia. Sorry, Corey. Maybe Brian De Palma just likes. And, uh, I guess all the King's Men, too. There you go. I'm gonna say, I, hate, I hate to keep going up and down this list, but, okay, Corey, you're number one. I mean, this is, I don't know how I'm going to top the obscurity of Kevin Dunn, <laughs> because this is certainly not obscure. Uh, he's starring in a movie that came out this week uh, that, in spite of him, I kind of want to see, but uh, I'm talking about Harrison Ford. Ooh. Right. I mean, just straight up, what has he done in the last forever that uh, doesn't make him a warning sign. Another walking corpse. Yeah, pretty much. He yeah. just doesn't care anymore. Yeah. And, and why should I care about his movies or his, his choices and, and what he's starring in? Yeah. I mean, generally, just when I when I hear that he's attached to a film, I know what I'm going to get from him, and that's him shuffling through the movie half asleep. You know, grimacing. Yeah, looking for the craft services table. <laughs> you know, that's what it. about Cowboys and Aliens, though? I mean, are you optimistic for that? If it's good, I'll I'll be happy. If it's not, I will not lose sleep over it. Well, that's another one that's written by Orsi and Kurtzman, so I'm a little skeptical, but I'm going to be cautiously optimistic just based on John Favreau's attachment to the project. Well, look, Corey, let's let's go up and down the list here. Obviously, the most glaring... The most glaring uh, mistake that he has made or, or uh, wrongdoing he has done is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But, yeah, I mean, I go back to, and I like this movie, and I think, Graham, you might too, Ivan Reitman's Six Days, Seven Nights, which I think is an underrated romantic action comedy. I think it's really good. But starting the, and right before that was Air Force One, which you might agree with. Yeah, Air Force One. Yeah. That was your first R-rated movie at the theater. I remember you yeah. watching that. That's right. Um, but then you, you go Random Hearts. Um what Lies Beneath, some people would argue that that was good. I highly disagree. K-19, The Widowmaker. Yeah. Hollywood Homicide, which I saw in the theater. I did see you, man. That, that <laughs> Firewall. He owes me money for that. Indiana Jones 4. Crossing Over, which nobody saw. I saw it. Of course he did. Extraordinary Measures, where he always works around the clock. Yep. And <laughs> Morning Glory. We need to make that a stinger. Yeah. I already work around the clock. I, I, I already work around the clock. Well, I'll do it for the end of the show. Right, like, um, well, yeah, 
So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. You have this guy who is a certifiable legend and deservedly so. I mean, he, he is one of the most charismatic actors on screen, is he not? I mean, in, in, in history, I would say. He's on Solo, man. Yeah, well, he was he was charismatic in the 70s and 80s, and then after he realized he could just get a paycheck for showing up and doing nothing, that's what he chose to do. Okay, well, so in, that, in, well, in that case, you're heading on, okay, you're, you're, we're talking, we're dismissing the 90s, basically. I, yeah, I would even say that's true of his Jack Ryan movies. Oh. Patriot Games? I'm sorry. Patriot Games is an awesome. I movie. prefer Clear and Present Danger. Of course you do. Clear and Present Danger. Give me a break. <laughs> clear and Present Danger. Patriot Games kicks ass, man. The Fugitive, Corey? All right, The Fugitive is okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't really like that movie very much. I think it's okay. I'm sorry. There it is. There it is. I threw down the, the gauntlet that you wow. have the fountain. Your gauntlet shattered once you threw it down. Never yeah. let me go. Did you just stack up a second fountain never let me go? Do remember Never Let Me Go, Corey? <laughs> yeah, Graham, I saw it two weeks ago. Of course I did. Well, if we're talking about, yeah, okay, his late 90s stuff, I, mean, I would include Clear and Prison Danger as being a somewhat boring movie. Um, Sabrina, you know, Tess is going to get mad at me. My wife, she likes that movie. The Devil's Own, I thought I had so much promise going into it, and I didn't realize that Tree Williams was the bad guy heading into it, uh, but he, it turned out that he was, and that was the last movie that Gordon Willis shot. Yeah. Yeah, tidbit there. Uh, but anyway, okay, that rounds out our um, top five warning signs. And I actually have a uh, brief honorable, dishonorable mentions list here uh, that includes Bradley Cooper. We, can we disagree on that? Yeah. Or agree on that? No, I disagree. Oh, wow. Kate Hudson. Yeah, you're right. Michelle Monaghan. No. <laughs> Tyrese Gibson. Yeah. Jessica Beale. Yeah, and I saved in my, my other best for last year, Corey. Mark Strong. Mark Strong, no, man. Total total warning no. sign. This guy's bell would have been dull. So no, he's fun. Yeah, the British Andy Garcia is a lot of fun. <laughs> Just in looks only. I take Andy Garcia over this guy any day. He's fun and kicked ass, man. <sighs> right, yeah. if, if I have a if I had a dishonorable mention, it would be well, I limited my list to actors if I were to include directors, Kevin Smith would be at the top and Wow. Kevin Smith? Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'll agree with that. Um, since we're running way over here, I think that we should just shoot through our DVD picks. So, Corey, if you want to just run through your what's new for this week, go right ahead. Yeah, there's not much coming out this week, uh, but my big recommendation is The Kids Are All Right, uh, Lisa Cholodenko's new film, which finally gets DVD and Blu-ray. I know you haven't seen this, so... I'll probably see it on Tuesday. Yeah. It's, it's excellent. Um, it's a story, it stars Julianne Moore and Annette Benning is a, it's a lesbian couple whose, uh, children, played by Josh Hutcherson and Mia Vasikoska, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, anyway, she's a great actress, um, they tried to find the donor, uh, who contributed to their existence, played by Mark Ruffalo, and the five of them form a weird little family unit, unit that is seen, uh, great movie. Mark Ruffalo is great. Annette Benning is great. Um, it's just really well done. Really well written. Yeah, I can't wait to check it out. Grandma, I don't think you saw that, did you? Oh, I did all right. I did. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was great. It's, it's definitely on my top ten list. Um, maybe if, uh, if Never Let Me Go had been called The Kids Are All Right, maybe it would have made a little more noise. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. 
fascinated with you. My DVD this week, I just want to get my hands on the Toy Story 3 Blu-ray. That's all I really care about right now. Um, I can't wait. I, I listened to a Q&A with Michael Arndt, the screenwriter, who, of course, wrote Little Miss Sunshine, but he was the screenwriter on Toy Story 3. You can go to creative screenwritingmagazine.blogspot.com and uh, download a really terrific interview between him and Jeff Goldsmith. Um, and it's good stuff. Um, so I can't wait to watch that again. It's one of my best. It's in my top five this year so far. So that's my DVD. Grant, do you have any recommendations quickly? A couple, yeah. Um, I finally saw The Black Stallion, uh, somewhat based on um, Michael Phillips' mentioning it. When you guys were talking about Secretariat when he was on the show, uh, it is just incredible. A beautiful, beautiful film that I watched on the Turner Classic Movies. Yesterday on my trip, I watched a funny farm on my, on my iPhone, uh, on my Netflix streaming app. Farm is just, it, as, it gets, as I get older, it just gets more, it just gets better and better. I love that film so much. Directed by George Roy Hill, starring Chevy Chase. Um, but I just want to say one thing, you know, Corey last week, he referenced uh, the fact that he was talking about grown-ups trashing it. And <laughs> he went after you, he went after you, Grant. You know, bringing me into the conversation for some reason, I don't know why, you know, saying I was talking about how I like Click, which I did.
results should be sooner rather than later. And until next week, I'm Ben Flanagan, and I'm Cory Crack. This is Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening. I already work around the clock! 9.7!